Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from 50 Famous Stories Retold by James Baldwin. The Brave 300 All Greece was in danger. A mighty army, led by the great king of Persia, had come from the east. It was marching along the seashore, and in a few days would be in Greece. The great king had sent messengers into every city and state, bidding them give him water and earth in token that the land and sea were his. But they said no. We will be free. And so there was a great stir throughout all the land. The men armed themselves and made haste to go out and drive back their foe. And the women stayed at home, weeping and waiting and trembling with fear. There was only one way by which the Persian army could go into Greece on that side, and that was by a narrow pass between the mountains and the sea. This pass was guarded by Leonidas, the king of the Spartans, with three hundred Spartan soldiers. Soon the Persian soldiers were seen coming. There were so many of them that no man could count them. How could a handful of men hope to stand against so great a host? And yet Leonidas and his Spartans held their ground. They had made up their minds to die at their post. Someone brought them word that there were so many Persians that their arrows darkened the sun. So much the better, said the Spartans. We shall fight in the shade. Bravely they stood in the narrow pass. Bravely they faced their foes. To Spartans there was no such thing as fear. The Persians came forward, only to meet death at the points of their spears. But one by one the Spartans fell. At last their spears were broken. Yet still they stood side by side, fighting to the last. Some fought with swords, some with daggers, and some with only their fists and teeth. All day long the army of the Persians was kept at bay. But when the sun went down, there was not one Spartan left alive. Where they had stood, there was only a heap of the slain, all bristled over with spears and arrows. Twenty thousand Persian soldiers had fallen before that handful of men, and Greece was saved. Thousands of years have passed since then. But men still like to tell the story of Leonidas and the brave three hundred who died for their country's sake. Socrates and his house. There once lived in Greece a very wise man whose name was Socrates. Young men from all parts of the land went to him to learn wisdom from him, and he said so many pleasant things, and said them in so delightful a way, that no one ever grew tired of listening to him. One summer he built himself a house, but it was so small that his neighbors wondered how he could be content with it. "'What is the reason,' said they, "'that you, who are so great a man, "'should build such a little box as this for your dwelling-house?' "'Indeed, there may be little reason,' said he. "'But, small as the place is, "'I shall think myself happy if I can fill even it with true friends.'" THE KING AND HIS HAWK Genghis Khan was a great king and warrior. He led his army into China and Persia, and he conquered many lands. In every country men told about his daring deeds, and they said that since Alexander the Great there had been no king like him. 
One morning, when he was home from the wars, he rode out into the woods to have a day's sport. Many of his friends were with him. They rode out gaily, carrying their bows and arrows. Behind them came the servants with the hounds. It was a merry hunting party. The woods rang with their shouts and laughter. They expected to carry much game home in the evening. On the king's wrist sat his favorite hawk, for in those days hawks were trained to hunt. At a word from their masters they would fly high up into the air and look around for prey. If they chanced to see a deer or rabbit, they would swoop down upon it as swift as any arrow. All day long Genghis Khan and his huntsmen rode through the woods, but they did not find as much game as they expected. Toward evening they started for home. The king had often ridden through the woods, and he knew all the paths. So while the rest of the party took the nearest way, he went by a longer road through a valley between two mountains. The day had been warm, and the king was very thirsty. His pet hawk had left his wrist and flown away. It would be sure to find its way home. The king rode slowly along. He had once seen a spring of clear water near this pathway. If only he could find it now— but the hot days of summer had dried up all the mountain brooks. At last, to his joy, he saw some water trickling down over the edge of a rock. He knew that there was a spring farther up. In the wet season a swift stream of water always poured down here, but now it came only one drop at a time. The king leaped from his horse. He took a little silver cup from his hunting bag. He held it so as to catch the slowly falling drops. It took a long time to fill the cup, and the king was so thirsty that he could hardly wait. At last it was nearly full. He put the cup to his lips and was about to drink. All at once there was a whirring sound in the air, and the cup was knocked from his hands. The water was all spilled upon the ground. The king looked up to see who had done this thing. It was his pet hawk. The hawk flew back and forth a few times, and then alighted among the rocks by the spring. The king picked up the cup, and again held it to catch the trickling drops. This time he did not wait so long. When the cup was half full, he lifted it toward his mouth. But before it had touched his lips, the hawk swooped down again and knocked it from his hands. And now the king began to grow angry. He tried again, and for the third time the hawk kept him from drinking. The king was now very angry indeed. "'How do you dare to act so?' he cried. "'If I had you in my hands, I would wring your neck.' Then he filled the cup again. But before he tried to drink, he drew his sword. "'Now, Sir Hawk,' he said, "'this is the last time.' He had hardly spoken before the hawk swooped down and knocked the cup from his hand. But the king was looking for this. With a quick sweep of the sword he struck the bird as it passed." The next moment the poor hawk lay bleeding and dying at its master's feet. "'That is what you get for your pains,' said Genghis Khan. But when he looked for his cup, he found it had fallen between two rocks where he could not reach it. "'At any rate, I will have a drink from that spring,' he said to himself. With that he began to climb the steep bank to the place from which the water trickled. It was hard work, and the higher he climbed, the thirstier he became. At last he reached the place— there indeed was a pool of water, but what was that lying in the pool and almost filling it? It was a huge, dead snake of the most poisonous kind. The king stopped. He forgot his thirst. He thought only of the poor dead bird lying on the ground below him. 
The hawk saved my life, he cried, and how did I repay him? He was my best friend, and I have killed him. He clambered down the bank. He took the bird up gently and laid it in his hunting bag. Then he mounted his horse and rode swiftly home. He said to himself, I have learned a sad lesson today, and that is never to do anything in anger. Dr. Goldsmith There was once a kind man whose name was Oliver Goldsmith. He wrote many delightful books, some of which you will read when you are older. He had a gentle heart. He was always ready to help others and to share with them anything that he had. He gave away so much to the poor that he was always poor himself. He was sometimes called Dr. Goldsmith, for he had studied to be a physician. One day a poor woman asked Dr. Goldsmith to go and see her husband, who was sick and could not eat. Goldsmith did so. He found the family was in great need. The man had not had work in a long time. He was not sick but in distress, and as for eating, there was no food in the house. "'Call at my room this evening,' said Goldsmith to the woman, "'and I will give you some medicine for your husband.' In the evening the woman called. Goldsmith gave her a little paper box that was very heavy. "'Here is the medicine,' he said. "'Use it faithfully, and I think it will do your husband a great deal of good. "'But don't open the box until you reach home.' "'What are the directions for taking it?' asked the woman. "'You will find them inside of the box,' he answered. When the woman reached her home, she sat down by her husband's side, and they opened the box. "'What do you think they found in it?' "'It was full of pieces of money, and on the top were the directions, "'to be taken as often as necessity requires. "'Goldsmith had given them all the ready money that he had.'" The Kingdoms There once was a king of Prussia whose name was Frederick William. On a fine morning in June he went out alone to walk in the green woods. He was tired of the noise of the city, and he was glad to get away from it. So, as he walked among the trees, he often stopped to listen to the singing birds, or to look at the wild flowers that grew on every side. Now and then he stooped to pluck a violet, or a primrose, or a yellow buttercup. Soon his hands were full of pretty blossoms. After a while he came to a little meadow in the midst of a wood. Some children were playing there. They were running here and there and gathering the cowslips that were blooming among the grass. It made the king glad to see the happy children and hear their merry voices. He stood still for some time and watched them as they played. Then he called them around him, and all sat down together in the pleasant shade. The children did not know who the strange gentleman was, but they liked his kind face and gentle manners. "'Now, my little folks,' said the king, "'I want to ask you some questions, and the child who gives the best answer shall have a prize.' Then he held up an orange so that all the children could see. "'You know we all live in the kingdom of Prussia,' he said. "'But tell me, to what kingdom does this orange belong?' The children were puzzled. They looked at one another and sat very still for a little while. Then a brave, bright boy spoke up and said, "'It belongs to the vegetable kingdom, sir.' "'Why so, my lad?' asked the king. "'It is the fruit of a plant, and all plants belong to that kingdom,' said the boy. The king was pleased." "'You are quite right,' he said, "'and you shall have the orange for your prize.' He tossed it gaily to the boy. "'Catch it if you can,' he said. 
Then he took a yellow gold piece from his pocket and held it up so that it glittered in the sunlight. Now, to what kingdom does this belong? he asked. Another bright boy answered quickly, To the mineral kingdom, sir. All metals belong to that kingdom. That is a good answer, said the king. The gold piece is your prize. The children were delighted. With eager faces they waited to hear what the stranger would say next. I will ask you only one more question, said the king, and it is an easy one. Then he stood up and said, Tell me, my little folks, to what kingdom do I belong? The bright boys were puzzled now. Some thought of saying, To the kingdom of Prussia. Some wanted to say, To the animal kingdom. But they were a little afraid, and all kept still. At last, a tiny blue-eyed child looked up into the king's smiling face, and said in her simple way, I think, to the kingdom of heaven. King Frederick William stooped down and lifted the little maiden in his arms. Tears were in his eyes as he kissed her, and said, So be it, my child, so be it. The Barmecide Feast There once was a rich old man who was called the Barmecide. He lived in a beautiful palace in the midst of flowery gardens. He had everything the heart could wish. In the same land there was a poor man whose name was Shackaback. His clothing was rags, and his food was the scraps which other people had thrown away. But he had a light heart and was as happy as a king. Once, when Shackaback had not anything to eat for a long time, he thought that he would stop and ask the Barmecide to help him. The servant at the door said, "'Come in and talk with our master.' He will not send you away hungry. Shackaback went in and passed through many beautiful rooms, looking for the barmecide. At last he came to a grand hall where there were soft carpets on the floor and fine pictures on the walls and pleasant couches to lie down upon. At the upper end of the room he saw a noble man with a long white beard. It was the barmecide, and poor Shackaback bowed low before him, as was the custom in that country. The Barmecide spoke very kindly and asked what was wanted. Shackaback told him about all his troubles, and that said it was now two days since he had tasted bread. "'Is it possible?' said the Barmecide. "'You must be almost dead with hunger, and here I have plenty and to spare.' Then he turned and called, "'Ho, oh boy, bring in the water to wash our hands, and then order the cook to hurry the supper.' Shackaback had not expected to be treated so kindly." He began to thank the rich man. "'Say not a word,' said the Barmecide, "'but let us get ready for the feast.' Then the rich man began to rub his hands, as though someone was pouring water on them. "'Come and wash with me,' he said. Shackaback saw no boy, nor basin, nor water, but he thought he ought to do as he was bidden, and so, like the Barmecide, he made a pretense of washing. "'Come now,' said the Barmecide, "'let us have supper.' He sat down, as if to a table, and pretended to be carving a roast. Then he said, "'Help yourself, my good friend. You said you were hungry, so now don't be afraid of the food.' Shackaback thought he understood the joke, and he made a pretense of taking food and passing it to his mouth. Then he began to chew and said, "'You see, sir, I lose no time.' "'Boy,' said the old man, "'bring on the roast goose.' Now, my good friend, try this choice piece from the breast, and here are sweet sauce, honey, raisins, green peas, and dry figs. Help yourself, and remember that other good things are coming. 
Shakabak was almost dead with hunger, but he was too polite not to do as he was bidden. Come, said the barmecide, have another piece of the roast lamb. Did you ever eat anything so delicious? Never in my life, said Shakabak. Your table is full of good things. Then eat heartily, said the barmecide. You cannot please me better. After this came the dessert. The barmecide spoke of sweetmeats and fruits, and Shakabak made believe that he was eating them. Now, is there anything else that you would like? asked the host. Ah, no, said poor Shakabak. I have indeed had great plenty. Let us drink, then, said the barmecide. Boy, bring on the wine. Excuse me, my lord, said Shakabak. I will drink no wine, for it is forbidden. The barmecide seized him by the hand. I have long wished to find a man like you, he said. But come, now we will sup in earnest. He clapped his hands. Servants came, and he ordered supper. Soon they sat down to a table loaded with the very dishes of which they had pretended to eat. Poor Shakabak had never had so good a meal in all his life. When they had finished and the table had been cleared away, the barmecide said, I have found you to be a man of good understanding. Your wits are quick, and you are ready always to make the best of everything. Come and live with me and manage my house. And so Shakabak lived with the barmecide many years, and never again knew what it was to be hungry. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchantedlibrary. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.